0: Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy began to show us the process of biblical change. Today we'll look at a few things that we must understand about change and then study the definition of the word transformed.
1: All right, turn with me please to the book of Romans chapter 12. We're dealing with the subject of change and uh, we're working our way through this particular chapter, especially uh, verse number two. And I'd like just to read that verse again and then we will commence uh, our sermon uh, on this subject. In verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now that brings me then, secondly this morning, to deal with this whole matter, the be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, there are just two points in that simple clause. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Two things. Number one, we want to look at the meaning of transform. Secondly, we want to look at the means by which we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. As I told you that the Apolline teaching is so simple but yet so profound. Those are the two things that we will consider here this morning for ourselves. I would like to begin by first of all suggesting to you that we must recognize that not all change is good. That's why Paul says, be you transformed by the renew of your minds that you may approve what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. He's calling for a transformed mind in a certain direction. I repeat, not all change is good. Any change that is contrary to biblical norms and biblical standards is harmful. So we're not just saying that we want just people to change, but we want to change in a certain direction. Change for the sake of change is not what the Bible calls for. And that's why it is so important for us to understand that when Paul calls for this transformative change, it's transformative change in the direction of God's will. This is what he's calling for. We must reject the evolutionary Spencerian theory that all change is progressive. See, because that's not true. There are some changes that don't help people. And this is why the first thing we need to draw to your attention uh, here about this whole matter. Secondly, I want to say that everyone here this morning is changing constantly and gradually you are not the person you were last year. You are not the person you were two weeks ago or one month ago. We are gradually, constantly changing. The question that we have to ask ourselves is in what direction is this change occurring? Are you a better person than you were a month ago or three months ago?
0: Or a year ago?
1: So, not all change is good. Secondly, not all, although we're we, we all constantly changing gradually and constantly. Thirdly, frequently people do not handle change well. This is why Paul has to put us in the direction of change. When people begin to deal with change, their attitudes, their fears, their suspicions, create what I call passive resistance or sometimes open opposition to change. By the way, do you know you don't have to stand up and say, I disagree with that? You can passively resist it by not voting. I don't know if you realize that. So when you see people not vote, the vast majority of the time, they, simply mean they don't want to say that, they don't want to see that people know that they're not for it, but they prefer not to do anything. You call that passive resistance. And change in people, quite frankly, uh, because of their fear, because of their suspicions, because of this, they employ passive resistance or sometimes open uh, rejection. And of course, this creates social disruption within a group or fellowship. And that's why when Paul is dealing with change, he has to chart the direction of change. Fourthly, The direction of change is in either one of two directions. You are either changing and moving more towards God, or you are changing and moving away from God. All change can be characterized by that. So you're either moving to God or you're moving away from God, but you are changing, madam. You are changing. You mark it down. You're changing. And if you're not closer to God than you were last year, it means that you are further away from God than you were last year. But I guarantee you, you never stay as you are. You are changing, I am changing, and I am either moving towards God or moving away from God. This is why Paul is so concerned to say, be transformed in the spirit of your mind that you may prove What is that acceptable will of God? See? He just doesn't want change for change's sake. Fifthly, because all changes either towards God or away from God, all change is moral. I repeat that. Because all changes either towards God or away from God, all change is moral. You see how important this subject is for us as believers? And sixthly, The only way that you can ever measure and decide the direction of change, whether it is right or wrong, wise or foolish, righteous or evil, is to have an absolute standard by which you can judge the direction of that change. And Paul's answer is, God's will as expressed in God's word. That's the standard for you to decide in what direction you're moving. I made a statement at the beginning, and some of you probably... Open your eyes and probably swallow your bubble gum. I said that there's no greater teaching on the matter of change in any other book anywhere than what Paul gives in these two verses. Now you understand what I'm saying. So now I want to begin to say to you that Paul's focus on change. He's calling for what I call theocentric change. Change towards God and not humanistic-centered change, which is change that focuses solely on man. Now, would you agree with this statement? That generally speaking, I'm not talking within the church, generally speaking, that everything today is centered on man. What man thinks, what man values, what man wants, what man believes, what man prioritizes, what man worships, what man lives for. In other words, the whole scheme of things is about the human agenda, what man wants. When Paul is dealing with biblical change, he is saying, let's forget about man's agenda now and let us focus on God's agenda. God's will as expressed in his word. That is how you measure the direction of your change as a believer. And this is why Paul now begins to talk about be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So two ideas then. First of all, the meaning of transformation. And secondly, the means of trans- transformation, the renewing of your mind. Those are the two things I want to talk about this morning. Let's begin with the first word. Be Transform. I want to say a few things about that that word itself. First of all, that is a Greek imperative. He's not begging you. He's not pleading with you. He's not suggesting to you. He's commanding you to be transformed. The imperative tense is the case is the the, uh, authoritative commanding case. So this is not an option for the believer. You should not ask yourself whether or not I should be transformed. You should see it as your responsibility as a believer to be transformed. I am commanding you, Paul is saying, as God's apostle to be transformed. Secondly, the word that Paul uses here is in the passive voice and that's the amazing thing here he's asking you to be transformed to take an active role as a command but you're saying that transformation is something that happens to you the question is what what you must do to let this thing happen to you and the answer is this to let your mind be renewed it's when your mind is renewed that you will be transformed it happens to you when your mind is renewed you don't work on it directly. You renew your mind and your renewed mind transforms your behavior. That's why it's in the imperative mood but it's also in a passive voice. I hear the third thing about that verse. It is also in what you call the linear tense or the continuous tense. So when Paul said, Beach, he said, be continuously being transformed. You don't get transformed in one day and that's the end. Of, well, I'm transformed today, Pastor. So I don't have to worry about next week or two weeks or now or a year from now. If that's what you're looking for, a quick fix solution that requires no continuous effort on your part, you'll never experience change as you should. You know how I think Christians think? They would like to come to the church and the pastor got a pill. That after preaching, he said, come forward, Take this pill and from now on, you'll have no more problems. But if the pastor did that, he completely eliminates God altogether because the Christian life is about your relationship with God. You constantly depend upon him. So when he tells you to be transformed, if it is or possible that today you can be so transformed that you never have to deal with the world and the flesh and the devil again. You make God superfluous. That's not how it works. The apostle Paul is saying to the believer, there is a way to change. But that way of change requires you to understand that you have a responsibility to have your mind renewed constantly. And that's where the daily eating of God's word into the word daily, daily, daily. Do you only eat once for the entire month in your physical life? That's not how it works. Every single day with very few exceptions you have about three meals a day for that physical body. Now you have something called a spiritual life. And for that spiritual life to be sustained, Jesus said, I live by my Father in dependence upon me and you must live in dependence upon me. So now you must draw from him who's the bread of life, the manna in in John chapter 6. He said, and the manna came down from heaven. He compares himself to the manna because for 40 years in the wilderness, every Jew, every single day had to take manna. Every single day he had to take manna. He could not take up a whole week on Saturday. For Monday, you remember a guy did that? And you remember it was a death sentence? But that's how Christians want to live. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. And your strength is found in the Lord. So as your days, you find strength as you depend upon the Lord. That's where your strength comes from. Not today, pastor, I want something that will solve my problem for the whole month. Never intended. That's how we should live as Christians. The fourth thing I want to say about this particular word is the special word that Paul uses here in this passage, the word morphe. In actual fact, the word that Paul has in this passage is morphe my. Okay. Uh, and basically, it's, sorry, it's metamorphe my. Okay. And the word meta means change. The word morpher means form, change form. Okay. Now let me show you what, what this, what's the significance of this word that Paul uses here. Morpher. You ever heard the word metamorphosis? Yeah, we've all, we've all heard that. If you did any kind of secondary school biology, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if not being taught in primary school because there's some things being taught in primary school, quite frankly, that I didn't get until I was in secondary school. The level of science that these kids are sometimes taught in in primary school, I must tell you, I'm very surprised at the level of science that they taught. It's it's, it's some heavy stuff. And of course, everybody knows that the butterfly changes from a pupa into a butterfly and it goes through a process called metamorphosis. You ever saw a pupa yet? The ugliest thing you will ever see. You ever saw a uh, larvae when they laid them on the... you 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 haven't planted any cabbages And then you see these little things under the cabbage thing. You see the leaves disappearing. And then you look and you see this little green uh, lava moving around like a a worm. And then next time you find it's hanging down because it's turning into a pupa, ugly little thing. And then if you wait a little bit longer, you open the thing, And guess what? A beautiful butterfly. It's called metamorphosis. It's turning an ugly lava into a beautiful butterfly. The exact word that Paul is using here. Exact word. He's calling for a metamorphosis, a change in the outward form of a believer. Now, the reason why I'm stressing this word is because there are two words in the Greek language for form. There's the word schema. That same word, by the way, is the word that appears in the word be not conformed. It has sus and then it has this word schema. Sus schema. Do not take on the form of the world. That's the word schema. But here's the difference between schema and morpher. Schema has to do with the outward form of something. So when Paul says, do not be conformed to the world, he's saying, do not adjust your style of life so that you look like the world. Do you behave like the world? That when people see you, they can't distinguish you as a Christian. You dress like the world. You act like the world. You talk like the world. You behave like the world. You go to the same place the world goes. Paul is saying, stop it. That's the outward form of the world. Schema. But the world that Paul uses here, the word morphe. And here's the difference between that. That word schema has to do with the outward form. This word now has to do with the inward form. Two different words. And here's, what Paul, here's Paul's point. You as a believer has been inwardly changed. You have been regenerated. You have been saved. You are a new creature. You are a new person in Christ. You are no longer an unbeliever. You are a child of God. You are a new man. You are a new woman. But here you are in the world and nobody would know that you are a new person because you take on the outward form of the world now what Paul is saying here be transformed is this let that inward form be superimposed out here so people see the inward form see that's what he's saying act like a Christian behave like a Christian think like a Christian do what a Christian does You see the difference? He's not now saying to take on the outward form of the world, but let the inward form that God has made you become the form that you wear. In other words, you are being transformed into a little Christ. Now in your life, put on Christ-likeness. Be transformed. That's what he's calling for. That's the kind of change. Now we're told that a picture or illustration gives more expression than a thousand words. So let me illustrate what Paul is calling here for, for just a moment. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. It's a familiar passage that you have. Matthew chapter 17. I have verse 1 and 2. And after six days. Jesus taketh Peter and James and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. And he was what? Transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment or his garments was as white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto the Lord, It is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And when he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed him, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now let me explain what I'm talking about here. When our Lord was on earth, when the people saw him, they just saw a man. That's all they saw. An ordinary Jewish man. I know he was an ordinary Jewish man because remember when they tried to stone him? They said that he went around the crowd and nobody really could have done it because he looked an ordinary Jew, ordinary man. But in Matthew chapter 17, something happened that changed all that. We're told that he took them up to the mountain. And we're told that when he was in the mountain, he was transfigured so that his face became as the sun and his garment shone as white. You see that word transfigured? It's the same word that is used in Romans 12, transformed. Same word, no different word. And here's the point. Christ was always God the Son, but it was hidden by his humanity. But on the Mount of Transfiguration, he allowed what he was inwardly to be expressed outwardly. So the inward divinity now shone through his humanity. And they saw for the first time, hey, he's not just a man. He is God the Son. And it dawns on them. This is deity. Deity. You see the point? What he was inwardly now shows out outwardly and now the people know what he was inwardly because his inward and his outward match each other. That's what Paul is calling for. You are a Christian. You are born again. You're a new creature in Christ. You have been transformed. You're not the person you used to be. Now Paul is saying take that inward person and manifest it here outwardly. Be transformed. May I ask you a simple question here this morning? What if every Christian lived that way? Seriously. What if every worker, whatever position in government or whatever position in this private sector you are involved in, that when people meet you, there's something Uniquely special about you. Or oh, you may be the manager, you might be CEO, you might be, you might be something. But the way you handle, the way you talk, the way you show something that is there that nobody has, they just know that there's just something about you, man. See? What if that were to happen in every working place of Antigua that our Christianity? was now being manifested before people. You see what I tell you, the problem is not the world. The world is always what it has always been. Evil, wicked, ungodly. The problem is the church. Transform the church and it will transform the world. But instead of the world transforming the church, the church transforming the world, what is happening, a reverse osmosis is taking place. And the church The world is changing the church. And here's why it's happening. Because we're listening to the wrong voices who tell us we've got to be relevant. We can't be old-fashioned. We've got to be relevant. And the way to be relevant is to dress like the man in the world, talk his language, act like him, behave like him. And what a failure that has proven to be in the church. And that brings me to one other point before we come to close. Where do you start with change? Where? And I want to suggest to you that the biggest error that is made is that we start to change a problem we have by focusing on the problem. So here it is. What, what's my problem? Well, my past, my problem, Pastor, I can't keep my hand off women. What's your problem? Well, Pastor, I just, I'm fascinated by adultery. What's my problem? Well, Pastor, you know what? I have a tendency to prevaricate. I lie a lot. Well, what's your problem? Well, my problem, Pastor, is that I lose my temper too fast. What's your problem? So you come and you tell people your problem, and you know what? They focus on let's talk about your temper for just a minute. Let's talk about your adultery for just a minute. Let's talk about your, and that's the wrong place to start. You never start with the behavior or the conduct because that's not the real problem. You know where you start? You start with the mind. Because that's where all our behavior comes from. To rather than target the particular sin or the particular misbehavior, to try to change that, you don't try to change that. You try to change the mind because the mind that produced it. It's your thoughts that produced it. So your thoughts need to change. Your mind needs to change. Let me put it this way. Someone put it this way. God is not concerned about the transformation of behavior. I repeat, God is not concerned about the transformation of behavior or the reformation of behavior, should I say. What he's concerned about is the transformation of character. Let me say that again. God is not concerned about the reformation of behavior. He's concerned about the transformation of character. Why? Because behavior flows out of character. Deal with character and it, 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 this almost dwindles. Now do you know that's why the schools fail? That's why the psychologist fails? That's why the government ministers fail. All of them fail because they don't really understand where the problem lies from. So they're trying to change people's behavior. and That's not the problem. That's not the problem. Change their character. See? So a child is misbehaving in school. For whatever reason, he's creating hell in school. And all they do to deal with that is to punish him and punish him and punish him. They try licks, it don't work. Then they send him outside. Then they send him home. They're targeting the behavior. The problem is not the behavior. The problem is the child himself. His character needs to change. Work on his character. When you work on his character, does that make sense? Because that's what happened to us. We know because it happened to us. We ourselves tried to change before we were saved. We made every promise in the book. But we just, just keep doing the same thing again. And then we got saved. And because we were changed. We find that that behavior is no longer peeling. And it withered off our lives. But here's the danger. It doesn't wither off forever because until you keep renewing your mind, unless you keep that same thing that licked you before begins to dominate your life again because you are not an automaton put on uh, pure transformation that you just remain the same. See, I'm going to stop here this morning, and I'm coming back to this second area to deal with it more exhaustively of how. Do you renew the mind? How do you do that? And I hope that you are interested enough to return. Because if all you've heard is up to what I've said here, you haven't gotten the real secret that Paul gives. And I will show you in scripture how that is done. And it should help you as a believer. Listen, you know what our lives is all about as Christians? It's helping people. (laughs) I have people calling me that are not not members of this church because of the radio program. And they always tell me, Pastor, I know you don't have any time for me and I don't want to intrude on your time. And you know what I tell them? I said, what do you think a pastor is there for? As a matter of fact, I always tell them, you make me feel as though I'm doing something more than I should be doing. When I say, make me feel good that I'm actually being used. See? But they all feel guilty, Pastor. You, you could take up all my, you know, your time because you got to answer questions and give them this and the next. And I tell them, no, 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 no. Call me when you want to call me. See, send me an email when you want to send me an email. I got a a, a young lady. She is in her forties, a Christian young lady. I wish I had a good forty-year-old man here that uh, have a real heart for the Lord that is looking for a partner. I'll put you in contact with her. She is a, a, she's a jewel. She's a real jewel. But she, she's at that age now where she's beginning to panic. You know, you're 40, and, I'm going to have children, blah, 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 blah. You know, all that. I was with you. So she's, 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 she's making some real stupid decisions. And I counsel her, and it goes on for two weeks, and she's all together. And then I find a month later, she keeps repeating the same thing. I don't think much about myself, and so on and so forth. <laughs> and then I got her right back. She said, You know, I, I keep, you, I, sorry, I've got to keep bothering you like this. I said, you're not bothering me. My job is to help you. If I can help you, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to try to help you. See, Here's my point. Our entire lives as Christians are about helping people. The greatest help you can do to help people is help them to, to know how to change. And you've got to learn the keys that the Bible gives you to how to tell people to put this in your life to bring about change. And that's why you need to come back next week. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for those who sat so patiently and listened. Some who might find that uh, the past is somewhat repetitious, but this is the greatest method of teaching. Repetition is the key to education. We just vary it, but we've got to keep hitting the same thing again and again until finally a bell rings and we get hold of the truth that's being taught. Oh, help us to have a church that really loves people, really concerned about people. And above all, give us all a heart that desires to be helpers to those in the Christian faith and those outside the Christian faith. Lord, we know it requires time and effort. uh, But what is life about if it is not helping people along the way? I pray that our church will prepare itself for this ministry of transformation and change. And that we will become tools and instruments in your hand to really help people. Not by dishing out psychological theories that lead ultimately to no end. But the giving them biblical principles and biblical truth that once applied produces results. Thank you for the richness and the depth of your word. It is so simple to us, but the more we dig and the more we deep, we see how profound is this teaching on this matter. Oh Lord, you mock the psychologists who try to bring about change by any other means. And our world is now in a state where it recognizes that, in spite of all this assumed knowledge that is being given, yet it is coming apart at its seams. And it's not getting better, it's getting worse. You have always had the answers. And you have called out your church and given them and equipped them with the answers to help humanity. The church has surrendered this role to a secular priesthood. As a result, we are now reaping the whirlwind that we've sown. Call us back to our ministry of help and counseling and ministering to people. Oh Lord, Lord, Of all the people on planet earth, there's no people like your people. You said that we are the light of the world. You said that we are the salt of the earth. How come we have such a low view of ourselves? Oh, Father, animate us, galvanize us, motivate us, empower us, drive us, move us, Use us for your kingdom's sake. In Christ's name,
0: amen. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy reminds us that we not only change at the moment of salvation, but Christians also need an ongoing transformational change. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-462 4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gamble's Terrace, Antigua.